Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. If nothing else, on this show, I try to present a different perspective on some of the big issues. We all live busy lives, and we often don't have time to consider these big questions, such as how did the universe begin? Where did the source of order come from? Is the Big Bang true? Does God exist? All these big issues that we know are important, but what we wind up doing a lot is that we delegate responsibility for figuring out the answers to other people, folks that we think are smarter than we are or have studied them more. And in many instances, these people are professors at major universities. Along these lines, many of you may have read or heard on TV about a stupendous finding from our modern physicist about how the Big Bang's smoking gun has been found. This smoking gun being the discovery of gravitational waves by a detector in the South Pole and how this finding is proof of the inflationary Big Bang. Well, many of us may have heard about this, but we have no idea what these scientists are talking about, what inflationary Big Bang is, what gravity waves are, or what exactly was detected in the South Pole. So, so today we're going to try to give a, a more sobering perspective on this and talk about what exactly the scientists found and whether it means that the secret to creation has been uncovered. Uh, again, Alexander Unziger, who's the author of the book Bankrupting Physics, How Today's Top Scientists Are Gambling Away Their Credibility, is with us. Alexander, thanks a lot for being with us today. Thanks, Philip. It's great to be on your show again. Okay, well, I thought that of all people, uh, you would be perfect for trying to give a different perspective on this because we do need to sort of broaden our mindset a little bit when we hear about these pronouncements. But I think it's important, first of all, to sort of lay a foundation for those who have not studied up on what exactly the inflationary Big Bang is. So first, let's talk about that. What is the inflationary Big Bang theory, Alexander? Well, let's talk about the Big Bang. Okay. Um, it's it's different. People have different images when they think about the Big Bang. I think when we are scientific, what we can say is the universe was hotter, denser, and more homogeneous in the past. That's all what we see. And we, we see that there is a, a cosmic redshift of the light of distant galaxies coming to us. And this uh, allows us to, to imagine the expanding universe. And, and that's it. But the problem is that um, uh, there is a, a limit of our observation, which is currently the so-called 
cosmic microwave background and that's that's what what these people are analyzing uh, the cosmic microwave background according to the standard model of cosmology is um, uh, was formed three hundred and eighty thousand years after the Big Bang that's a huge figure and uh, this cosmic microwave background is is very nice data and, and it's justifiably people are fascinated about this data but uh, on the other hand it's it's like an, an, an iron curtain that prevents us from directly observing the earlier cosmos so um, we have a problem here that um, uh, our model is I would say it's 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 not bad it's maybe too naive but uh, you justifiably can imagine that there is an expansion but what happened in the very first moments of this Big Bang expansion is utterly unknown yeah I, I think I like to just to emphasize something you know that you're that you're saying here first of all you know the cosmic background radiation is famous for uh, being described as as the fossil record of this gigantic explosion to make the claims that we see in the press we have okay so there's cosmic background radiation mm -hmm. and there's some issues with it such as the uniformity which we're going to get at yeah. in a second here mm -hmm. but but i think that what what's important to to just put down in the list of things to keep in 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 mind is that we are we are extrapolating back 14 billion years we're trying to say what happened 14 billion years based upon this microwave background radiation which is an awfully big extrapolation and i think that that's that's something people forget yeah i, I would i would just comment on that i i don't think that the 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 comparison of the two numbers is is 14 billion years to to half a million that's huge you're right but the even more audacious claim is that you you still extrapolate back to the to the first seconds i mean you can what you can is extrapolating back from 300 uh, years to 100,000 years or something but uh, to the very first seconds and the very first fractions of seconds that's that's very strange yeah. Right, and so there is something about the cosmic background radiation that is important for inflation, and I think we need to talk about that, which is which is the uniformity of the cosmic background radiation. It's one one of the odd, oddities uh, is that it is it's too uniform in the sense that according to the way the Big Bang was supposed to expand there was no way for opposite sides of the universe to have communicated or to have shared information such mm -hmm. that it should be so smooth. It's, it's called the horizon problem, it's called the smoothness problem, but I think it's important as we start getting close, as we start mentioning what the inflationary Big Bang is, to point out that the cosmic background radiation, even though it is evidence of an explosion, the fact that it's uniform raised some problems for cosmology correct yes right and and that it's the smoothness that in some ways it shows an explosion but it was too smooth for the original big bang 
Yes, right. yes. Uh, well, there are there are a couple of issues which people could not explain readily of of the of the cosmic background. Um, well, it was discovered um, more or less by coincidence um, by uh, Penzias and Wilson uh, in 1964, and um, the big surprises was its its very existence. So the next surprises which um, which were to come uh, was the uniformity, as you said, and uh, this uniformity was was strange because you knew somehow the structure in the universe, the galaxies, all these had to be formed some time later. So the question was, how could from such a uniform, um, from such a uniform distribution of matter, such a structured uh, universe, how could that arise? And this was another problem. This was fixed by postulating the um, fluctuations of dark matter. And so um, we have a couple of problems of uh, how to interpret this, this data correctly. And um, the I'd like to mention that that because you uh, you were correctly reporting the 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 facts and and the and the link to the recent claims, but I'd like to, to comment that, I mean, all these riddles, or most of the riddles, were long known before even the theory of cosmic inflation existed. We are talking about, I would say that, that the cosmic microwave background is a nice piece of evidence for, uh, the, for the fact that the cosmos was more homogeneous and, and was much hotter in the past. But it has nothing to do with uh, this scenario of the very first fractions of the second that all came later. Yes, yes, correct. And I, I want to, you know, there's something else to highlight here because I, I am a real radical on the Big Bang, and 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 I'm not going to promote my own view on this particular show. I think I've talked about it in the past, but there is another issue with the with the standard model of the Big Bang. That, uh, that also led to the inflationary theory, which is the flatness problem. And, and, the, and the flatness problem is, is that it is, it's, for some unknown reason, the, it's the gravitational mass that is speculated to be out there in the universe equals the, the ex explosive force or the repulsive force of the original explosion, such that the right. repulsive, mm -hmm. the repulsive force is in balance with with the with the gravitational mass, and what this means, this is sort of like sending a satellite into orbit. That satellite has to be sent with exactly the right power in order to to orbit, because if it's sent with too much power, too much force, it's going to go out in outer space and leave the the uh, gravitational effect or pull of the Earth. If it's too little force, it'll never get into orbit. And so in yeah. some ways, the Big Bang launched the universe with exactly the right power in order to stay in equilibrium of some sort. And this is, called, this is known as a flatness problem, which is mm -hmm. esoteric, right? It's an, esoteric, it's an esoteric problem, but it's, it's, an, amazing, it's an amazing story that yes. really led to the inflationary Big Bang, right? Mm -hmm. And because it's, it's the inflationary Big Bang that folks are using 
to explain the flatness of the universe mm -hmm. and the homogeneity of the microwave background radiation. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. yeah, this 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 was a nice analogy uh, with the satellite, and I mean you can phrase the problem for the whole universe. Um, I mean, an, an open universe would expand forever, and a closed universe would uh, eventually contract and crash. And the question is, why is the universe in such a in such a delicate state of of uh, just in between these these two cases? Yeah, that's really strange, and you can phrase it in different ways. The first physicist who discovered the problem was Robert Dickey and uh, that was in 1969 by the way so um, of course you can postulate an, an, a mechanism that that accounts for this um, equilibrium but this is this is a kind of I mean fixing things with additional assumptions uh, the real deep problem is as you said why is the why is the, you can phrase it this, this way, why is the kinetic energy of the universe equal the gravitational energy? And there is no reason for this. Uh, there is not even a reason coming from general relativity because general relativity would allow a closed cosmos and, and, and an open universe, both cases. But, uh, I think here is the problem, because uh, instead of postulating an arbitrary mechanism that, that fixes the problem, we need to understand um, gravity better and we need a theory that by construction gives us a flat universe, not one that offers two possibilities and then on top a mechanism that explains. That's That would be that would be desirable, I think. And, yes, uh, yes. and I think that, that that's, really a, that's really a good point. That's really why I like uh, your writing, Alexander, is because you are, it seems to me that one of the things you do is you have a, a drive desire for simplicity. Because I think that that's that's one of the one of the problems I have with theories coming out of modern science, whether it's the uh, standard model, whether it's dark energy, or whether it's this cosmological theory, is they're so doggone complicated, and mm -hmm. and it seems as if we shouldn't give up looking for the simplest possible theory to put this together. Yeah, you know? yeah, and, and I, think, I, I, think, I agree. That that's an important point, and I. I, I like that you mention it, but it's not. I mean, it's not kind of a pre predilection of or a personal. Uh, not not that I'm a personal fan of simplicity. I think there is pretty good evidence in the history of science that the real revolutions uh, led always to simplification of the laws of nature. Right. Look at Newton. I mean, Newton dramatically simplified the uh, celestial laws of nature by replacing these these hundreds of numbers uh, describing every planet and every orbit of, of the planets, these hundreds of numbers were all condensed in one gravitational constant eventually. Uh, 
and 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 other other revolutions in in science um, yeah work the same way look at look at the example of maxwell's electrodynamics uh, once we understood that light is an electromagnetic wave uh, we could put together the, the electric and the magnetic constants together with the speed of light and one constant was just explained away so a big revolution is always a reduction of, of fundamental constants of nature and what what makes me concerned about the about contemporary sciences is that um, people are just adding numbers they they not, they're not making up really good theories which would reduce the, the fundamental constants there complicating things by continuously adding new unexplained parameters and, and that's think, what's happening in cosmology right now. i think i think that i think that is really important and there's probably no better example than the inflationary big bang this is philip Mirton. this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with Alexander Unziger, the author of the book Bankrupting Physics, How Today's Top Scientists Are Gambling Away Their Credibility. And we're talking about front page news, which is the gravity waves and the Big Bang. And we are, we're laying a foundation here because what we, what we find, what science found with the original Big Bang is that there were certain features that they didn't like. And those features were the flatness which they could not explain the flatness problem being that the gravitational pull energy of the mass in the universe the stars the galaxies balanced off with the explosive or the repulsive force of the big bang as if somebody finely tuned the explosion and then of course we have the homogeneity or the evenness of the microwave background radiation these presented problems and so now comes the inflationary Big Bang. And this is important because with the inflationary Big Bang, Alexander, Alan Guth, the, uh, the originator of the, of the theory, went back to the micro, microseconds of the Big Bang and said, well, if things were a little different back then, uh, if, if, there, if the acceleration was tuned in a certain way, we could smooth out the universe and we could explain the homogeneity of the background radiation. So, mm. so why don't you why don't you talk about what what was it what is it about the inflationary Big Bang that you that you have issues with, if anything? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I should be more radical here because I mean, I think that the Big Bang as such is still a, a reasonable model you can make up and 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 do. Uh, can try to describe reality but inflation has always been a, f a non-testable fantasy uh, taking place in these absolutely tiny fractions of 10 to the minus 35 seconds I mean there is no way whatsoever to uh, reasonably test this uh, this theory and um, just because there are no data I mean inflation does not predict anything. Don't believe the the claims that when people are saying inflation predicted this and that. In my view, it's just sometimes a, a clever view of saying nothing. If you have no information and you observe these microwave background, you, 
then you just uh, predict, so to speak, complete randomness. But that's yeah. that's kind of cheating because you don't actually you don't predict. Okay. Um, and second, I would say that if you do, if you do science, you need uh, you need to you need to measure and you need error bars. Error bars means that my measurement is with ninety percent probability within this this value and that value. Yeah, I had a discussion once with Michael Turner from the University of Chicago, and he said, "Look." Um, this is data. This is science because there are data points. I said, no, it's not science because it's data points. Science needs error bars. And if you look at the predictions of, of inflation, there has never been one single error bar published about its predictions. That's it's kind of ridiculous, but um, it, it's not enough to, to draw a line from theoretical con considerations and then, oh, look at this, the, the measured data points more or less um, uh, coincide with this line. You ought to predict in your model um, a range of possibilities with, with a reasonable, uh, with assuming reasonable errors for your, for in, for your initial state. And if you don't do that, you can you can always fix your 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 model to any data. And okay, this, and and this, this is, is the problem was with what we have. It, it's not it's it's not science because because you can fix anything to it. Right, you can, this, you can this fix is, anything to it. Right now, now let me let me put this in different words because this is extremely important. And that is the way I look at it. And now I'm a full disclosure. I'm really radical on this, and I don't know you know who's more radical but but by radical let me just say radical, let me just say i'm different i'm different uh, i have a different perspective and but th what i'm about to say is supported by a number of books including by alan guth himself alan guth being the the person who is attributed with uh this quote-unquote discovering the inflationary big bang i think he's now a professor at mit uh, even in his book called The Inflationary Big Bang, he said the inflationary Big Bang was a, was a mathematical contrivance. And the same thing David Lindley in his book, The End of Physics, he called it a mathematical contrivance. In other words, the cosmologists didn't like the flatness, they didn't like the homogeneity of the of the microwave background radiation because it suggested fine-tuning therefore they went to their computers and they said well if the if the universe inflated by 10 to the 45 or 40 times and 10 to the minus 35 seconds we could smooth out the ripples and we could have a flat universe isn't this wonderful and yes. it's that theory it's the mathematical con contrivance it's it's using your your computer and your mathematics to configurate what the uh, what the first milliseconds must have been mm -hmm. uh, that bothers me and then this is this is what this is what the our modern cosmologists are not telling the public and this is what really as if they really know what happened yes and yes this is this is what irks me and, and uh, it really is it's a mathematical contrivance and and it's as if it's as if because the 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 math came out right, which they that which they um, configured the math so they would do away with the flatness 
and the homogeneity problem as, as if therefore it's true when as you point out there's what's where's the evidence how can somebody ever talk about what happened in the first 10 to the 35th second <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah but but let, let's go to this to this uh, recent claim, I mean, you you can read in the newspapers that there is evidence for inflation now. I mean, I think we have we have to analyze this statement at, at three stages. First stage is from an observational point of view and data analysis and instruments, and uh, you look at the polarization of the cosmic microwave background, okay, there is a very tiny polarization signal and you analyze it and you, you distinguish uh, two mathematical uh, parts of the vector field called uh, curl and diver divergence, that's okay. And then you detect one component uh, is, is uh, explained and, and the other one is, is um, is uh, a surprise or surprisingly big uh, that's already kind of questionable because if you have one component of a of a signal it always leaks a little bit to the other component it's like like the vertical and horizontal polarization of light you can't separate um, experimentally very well these two components uh, so the first stage would be a discussion, is this analysis sound, serious, and so on. And there are cautious uh, scientists uh, saying that, well, we still have to check, we still have to see if this is confirmed by the Planck satellite, and so on. But now the strange statement is, they say, if this is confirmed, then we might have evidence for gravitational waves. but we don't have because second stage so to speak um, one thing is if you have uh, this uh, signal of polarization in the light but this signal has nothing literally nothing to do with gravitational interaction or gravitational waves which are hypothetical to this day so, and by yeah. the way, none of these experimenters, I think, has a clue about how to calculate the, how to do the, the theoretical link from the, from the polarization signal to the gravitational waves. So what does that mean? That there, there was a, a directed activity um, from the theoretical side, from the theoreticians, which tried to imagine mechanisms and and uh, who tried to postulate a sequence of mechanisms one piled on top of each other that would create this link from the polarization to the to the gravitational wave which is far from obvious yeah so at the very end i mean 19 uh, 1% of this gravitational wave detection claim would be on the experimental basis but 99% is a theoretical inference by no means justified, just by agreement of some people. So I, I think the, the, the public is not aware that um, how much theory, how much theoretical assumptions enter the back door of these so-called experiments and that's the real problem here. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point and, and you're breaking it down because you know, the way it's, it's presented in the media is 
uh, cosmologists found gravitational waves, therefore uh, inflationary Big Bang is proved true. That it's, 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 it's simplified to such a degree, but in, those, in that statement are so many assumptions that are not disclosed. It's as if they found the Holy Grail. Okay, yeah. or, or the Ark yeah. of the Covenant, and and it's it's like a big grandiose pronouncement. But as you just said, there's a, there are at least two steps here, which is did they even find gravity waves to begin yeah. with, right? Yes. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. and then if even if they did, what the, what does that mean? Does that mean that therefore the universe inflated by ten to thirty five times? Yeah, <laughs> you of, <know>? course. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. That would be that would be the third stage. But the second, I mean, the second stage is is uh, the gravity waves would be we are talking about we are talking about the first fractions of seconds. Yeah. Okay. This is already uh, it's, it's untenable. But if you if you go then back again to these 10 to the minus 35 seconds it becomes really preposterous because you're again extrapolating over a huge degree of of, uh, powers of uh, a huge number of of powers of 10 and it's it's not serious science there is no no way to justify that Uh, so um what i what i try to say i mean on, but to give you an example for the for the for the second stage, I mean, it it shouldn't sound that I uh, I like to dismiss science at all levels. I mean, I think we have marvelous technologies and we have really advanced and 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 really done something to the for mankind. But um, just compare compare this analysis of the first seconds to a say to a satellite imagery of of the ocean. Okay, so you can measure the, the altitude of the ocean to centimeters. You can uh, look at the light spectrum and, and analyze uh, the salinity or maybe the algae content or, or you, you, you would see the Gulf Stream in the Northern Atlantic or things like that. That would be uh, terrific, beautiful sights. But um, talking about the first fractions of a second, from the cosmic microwave would be like um, discovering deep sea fish from that ocean surface movements and classify it zoologically. Yeah, I mean it's 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 just too far away. It's this it's a, a huge amount of wishful theoretical. Uh, thinking that that enters the discussion. Yeah, yeah and I, I think that it's sort of it's it's like doing it on, you know, some planet in a different galaxy too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's un it's unbelievable the extrapolation. And and again, let me let me try to just put this together a little bit because the 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 short picture here is that. These gravity waves, according to the pronouncements of the physicists who were working on this, these gravity waves, they say, could only have been produced by inflation. Okay, so yeah. so they're assuming they found gravity waves, and then they make this statement: they could have they could have only been been generated by inflation. Therefore, how do you know about how do you know about that? Right, right, right. I mean, what what kind of statement is that? It's it's sort of like you know, in your analogy, it's like saying, well, this little ripple could it you know it must be a sea urchin, 
It must be yeah. a sea urchin exactly. on the planet Mars because no yes. other no other creature would make this kind of ripple. I mean, this this is really really something else. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Uh, I'm happy to be talking with Alexander um, Unziger, a German theoretical physicist, about the front page news where. Uh, some scientists in the South Pole have found gravity waves, and with that, um, they've said that the story of the Big Bang inflation has been proven true, and we're trying to uh, unravel this a little bit and really get to the heart of what they actually found. Now, it might it might be helpful here because this, if it's even possible, Alexander, you know, many people may th- may think, okay, well, they have this fancy instrument in the South Pole, which sounds like a really cool thing. It's called the Background Imaging of Cosmic Extragalactic Polarization 2. What exactly in, in, in common language did these people see in, in, this, in this instrument that led them to say there must be gravity waves? I know you mentioned it, but what, what, what did they see? Yeah, I mean, we have different stages of, of discoveries of this cosmic microwave background, different, uh, different interesting observations. Let, let me just start out. For me, the, the, the first very important message from the cosmic microwave background is the homogeneous temperature of 2.72 Kelvin. It's, it's a very low temperature. And indeed, I would agree that it indicates that the cosmos was, was more homogeneous in the past. Second thing is that um, the second very interesting thing that the cosmic microwave tells us is, and it's it's seldom emphasized because it it kind of doesn't fit very well in in our theoretical models, but uh, the cosmic microwave background provides something like a absolute uh, frame of reference in the universe, mm. while every theoretical description of gravity, including Einstein's theory of general relativity, says that it's not important. So motion is unimportant. And uh, now we have this cosmic microwave background telling us about the absolute frame of reference. That's, by the way, interesting. It's for me an interesting message. Then again, um, I I told you before that you were looking for these tiny uh, temperature differences, differences, which were found much um, much later and in, to a smaller level than expected and then where people people were analyzing the 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 typical size of these uh, temperature variations this called the spatial spatial frequencies that means image frequencies um, of these temperature variations and you can read out some information about the cosmos there are some predominating frequencies but i would say we don't really understand the 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 mechanisms you can interpret it as sound waves and deduce this this and that but already the claims that um people reading out a certain percentage of dark matter and dark energy i don't i don't buy that yeah i don't think it's 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 uh, it's justified, but the the signal as such is still interesting. And then uh, further analysis, you can you can look for the for the polarization signal, okay. But uh, and 
and it turns out that there is a very very tiny polarization but the fact as such that there is a polarization is not astonishing and the fact that there is there is not only one type of polarization which is called e-mode but also another type it's it's also not not that astonishing um, so for me it's 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 um, it's not justified to to give so much importance to these to these B mode polarization. Well, well, let because... me just well, 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 let me just ask you it this way: Do you think that the B mode polarization, the gravity waves, have now proven the inflationary Big Bang? No, no, I, I disagree. I completely disagree. I, I would say that okay, there is also this second kind of B mode polarization. Well, interesting. Yes. Let's think about, um, but there are dozens of possible reasons for it, you know. Yes. And and what's what's weird is that obviously um, there has been an activity of of uh, theoreticians who were desperately searching for gravitational waves for decades. Yes. They have found the possibility to link these two effects, which are far from. Which are far from having any obvious, uh, any obvious um, uh, cause. Yes, yes, and I, I want, I want to. Um, there's something that is very important here for those who want to sort of do their own research on this, which I think is probably the the main point of this particular show, which is to think through these things yourselves. I would highly recommend a. Uh, April 2011 uh, Scientific American article by Paul Steinhardt who was one of the developers of the inflationary Big Bang. Uh, if you go online for, to Scientific American and put in Paul Steinhardt um, the, it comes up the inflation debate and what is significant about this this article uh, Alexander and I don't know if you've seen it but what, what Professor uh, Steinhardt says is that it takes a unique kind of inflation to wind up where we are today. That there are many kinds of bad inflation that would have led to universes that could not have existed or, or that would not be inhabitable. And the point he's making there is that even though the inflationary Big Bang was, was uh, developed to get away from some of the fine-tuning elements of the original Big Bang, you need a finely tuned inflation to yeah, wind first, up where yeah. we're at. And that's that's something that, again, we're not seeing d disclosed in the media by, by these scientists. I have seen something where they said, well, the, the universe of possible inflationary scenarios has now been yes. reduced if you're assuming these gravity waves were produced by inflation. But it's not. But we they still have this big problem, which is why did the universe inflate in such a way? Assuming it did inflate, why did it inflate in such a way to lead up to leave us with yeah. this flat, uh, balanced universe? It's it's a big problem, and and uh, I I think that you know if you read uh, Paul Steinhardt's article in conjunction with some of the announcements coming out, it gives it gives you some perspective here. Mm -hmm. on on really on really what's going on. And yeah. 
Yeah, I think this is a good point. Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it's rather obvious that that inflation is 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 a theory with dozens of freely tunable parameters, and you can you can cherry pick whatever you want. And if one theory doesn't work, you just tune it and and go to other versions of theories or classes of theories of inflation. I, at this point, I'm not really interested anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just read Roger Penrose's. Um, description of inflationary theory he 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 tears it to pieces so what is interesting that that paul steinhardt which is one of the fa fathers of inflation so to speak uh, publicly admits that inflation is not testable is not falsifiable that that surprise that was a big surprise for me too but i think what we we should we should look at these things um, also, from from a perspective of sociology of of science, yes. and and a, a nice point to uh, to make uh, would be look at the history of the gravitational waves uh, detectors. Since gravitational waves has have surprisingly now used to justify this this inflation in in, in a very different context. Um, Gravitational waves were um, uh, said to be a consequence of Einstein's theory of relativity, and it was as early in, as in the 1960s that the first attempts were made to detect gravitational waves by um, Weber and, and his uh, first uh, cylinders, and now we have a science. We have we have this field. Uh, trying for almost um, six de decades to to detect these gravitational waves with sophisticated technology and always bigger detectors and, and huge costs and and in uh, a community of of uh, trained uh, laboratory physicists uh, who try and try to detect these waves and they are not successful and that's remarkable. Um, we have to think about because uh, there is such a such a big desire uh, of, of physicists to to discover these gravitational waves, and why have all these other attempts um, been so unsuccessful? That's an interesting question. Yeah, that yeah, that is a really that is a really good point because if they were so you know, ubiquitous, or, they were, or if they were ever, ever were out there, then why is it taking so much time to find yeah. them? And yeah. I, I think that that, that that is something, you know, the, the sociological part cannot be uh, underestimated. And I know that, that this is something that you're, you're a, an advocate of or, or, or a, um, a student of, the sociological uh, aspects of science, and this, and this is something that I think we forget a lot about, that mm -hmm. there is that there is a certain certain amount of self fulfilling prophecy here, mm -hmm. wh where yes. you know I mean it's it's really where if you devote your life, and I don't know who said it, uh, you know if, if if you devote your life to an enterprise, then you're really not going to listen to anybody that tells you that you're going down the wrong path, and, <laughs> and it's it's sort of it's it's not it's not just it's not a, a human characteristic by the way that's that's just that's unique to scientists i mean none of mm -hmm. us really like to tell you know to be told oh, by the way you just wasted you know your entire career 
because mm-hmm. because you've studied the wrong thing. But yeah. but I don't think we should get fooled into thinking that scientists are any any anything different than a normal person on the street, because mm-hmm. they there's defensiveness, there's territorialism, there's all these things. But but we shouldn't let them be the high priests mm-hmm. or the high priestesses of of scientific knowledge when we start mm-hmm. giving mm-hmm. up. This uh, this this uh, this need to question and to use our own thinking and to and to do things like we're doing on this show, which is trying to put it in perspective. This is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we that's what's important here, you know. Because I always say mm-hmm. that if it's right, it's going to withstand questioning. You know, mm-hmm. if it's going to withstand, I mean, no one's no one's arguing with Newton's theory, you know, with uh, with gravity or electromagnetism. Or or the speed of light. I mean, there are some people, but but the point is, is that if it's true, it's going to withstand questioning, and we and we need to make sure we understand what these guys are doing. Yeah, um, yeah. This, this is this is Philip Mirton. This is conversations beyond science and religion. We're speaking with Alexander Unziger, a German theoretical physicist, about some developments in modern cosmology, including gravity waves and inflation and the Big Bang. And you know, Alexander, I wanna I wanna move to you know a little beyond uh, um, the inflation right now. And you well, you I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Maybe maybe let let me comment one sure. one more thing sure. about these gravitational waves. Since I think there is there is a very interesting point to make. Um, why these these gravitational wave detectors are 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 uh, um, very costly. Uh, big science experiments, and they have been unsuccessful to date. But uh, I would say this is still good science. And if they don't detect it, it's still good science, and it might be a very interesting result that they don't find it. Okay? But uh, the reason is because the, the gravitational wave detectors, they have a very clean methodology. Because if you want to claim from a gravitational wave detector so you have, that you have detected the wave, you need one signal here and another signal there at a determined distance, at a determined time, uh, separated by the speed of light. So, and this is a this is a fantastic barrier to keep off all possible artifacts to be interpreted as a gravitational wave signal. And in fact, we have heard numerous claims that, well, at the end, we're all discarded by this, by this fantastic um, test. But the analyzing the cosmic microwave background does not have such a, such a clean test, that's yeah. such a high barrier. So if I were a gravitational wave detector physicist, I would be upset when other people with such a such a methodology which is much less clean and much more prone to artifacts are now claiming that they have detected gravitational waves with 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 a kind of argument that really goes to what well, you, you you might call it a metaphoric argument yes no? yes yes and um, and that that's I think we need to be concerned about this tendency to, um, yeah, to read out such bold claims from very tiny, very filtered, small information. That's that's uh, that's a 
tendency to be concerned about in in modern science. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I, you know, I'm a I'm a practicing lawyer, and I, so I've said this in the past. I approach theories like this, like the like the gravity waves and inflation, as I would in a courtroom, and I and I ask for the evidence. And the point here is that the evidence is a little sketchy to me, and mm. and I'm I'm a little I'm wary of making grand claims based upon ambiguous data. I do, I do think it's great, all these instruments, and I agree with you that, um, that the mathematics and technology go a long way into understanding the physical world and trying to put in some kind of theoretical framework. But, but again, what, what bothers me are the two, two things, the extrapolation from minor data points and then not disclosing the weaknesses or the gaps in the theory. Because it, yes. pe it makes people think that everything is nice, sewn up and tidy, the inflation has been proven true, we could, all, we could all go back and accept our Nobel Prizes and, and go on some cruise for the rest of our lives just you know talking about all these all these great all these great discoveries so it really it's important to sort of sober up a little bit and and look at the big picture now before um, we, we've spent some time on this and I think and hopefully we we've shed some light on really what it all means but Alexander this is this is not the only issue with modern cosmology right now and I know you studied a little bit what other what other issues should the public be aware of about about modern cosmology that strike you as a little dubious? Well, I mean, we have these, uh, uh, this uh, so-called standard model of cosmology, which um, uh, is based on this picture of an expanding universe. And uh, this was originally was a fairly simply model fairly simple model and uh but then came the problem with as as we mentioned it with the flatness and horizon problems and people tried to fix it with additional assumptions and uh now we have to add we have to add more numbers to our model dark energy and, and dark matter and the scalar spectra index and and so on and uh, a critical cosmologist uh, mike disney uh he says that we have 17 parameters in the model, and but we have only 13 independent informations. <laughs> this is far from healthy. Okay, so we are we risk the risk is that we we are going to describe the cosmos um, by unexplained numbers, and uh, we might not only miss the understanding but also hide the possibilities of understanding because as a scientist you're not it's not enough just to describe you, you, your business as a theoretical physicist is to to make a model which is simpler which simplifies which gets rid of the unexplained numbers and i think that this is a it's it's in a way it's the wrong way the current cosmological research goes yeah what is what is a free parameter? What would what a free per, go ahead, go ahead. a free parameter is a number you measure, and uh, you cannot explain it. For example, um, 
the Hubble the Hubble constant is uh, a number that explains the not explains but just describes the the expansion velocity of the universe or the baryon number is something that uh, describes the percentage of the usual mass the point is that you cannot explain these numbers you just measure them and then that's it well and and i think that and i guess that the uh Dark energy would be another one in there because of that course. because that's that's and, and and by the way for those uh, who aren't reading up on all the science magazines dark energy is a unknown force that was I think discovered with the late 1990s that is supposed to be accelerating the expansion of the universe and and so this this is important because the quest of science and cosmology is to have these numbers be a natural derivation of a theory, right? Yes. They're not supposed to be measured and then plucked back into sort of a prefabricated explanation. It's supposed to be a natural development, natural outcome of a theory. And so when you have these free parameters that are unexplained, it shows how much we don't know. Yes, right? it, it yes. shows that there's mystery and there's and, and how much we don't know. And you know we've had other shows on on dark matter as well, which of course is all that missing mass out there, and that's another element of the standard model uh, that we that we don't know uh, much about the you know the the famous missing mass and and uh, and the purported gravitational effect it's having on galaxies and, and the universe. So I guess what it what this comes down to a lot is Alexander, you know, we have this locomotive that's going down the track with a lot of force, and and that and that locomotive is modern cosmology, and I often wonder if there's anything any any stopping it. I mean, it's it's gaining momentum with the Higgs boson uh, purported finding, and now we have the gravity waves. I mean, do you think that? that there's any chance that this train is going to slow down or change direction where we start pointing it towards... No, be no. because it's always going downhill. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's what the history of, of science says. That's, yeah. what, that's what you understand when you read Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. That's, that's in a way, that's a natural... Um, that's what naturally happens when humans do science. Because it's always much more comfortable if you add a concept and you invent something new and you make new friends and you 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 you, you people gather to to work on this new field and then you introduce such a new parameter and after a while it's as as people used to say it's established and and the community does not put it into question anymore but it never happens in the history of science that you destroy steadily uh, unexplained number. Yeah? It's not that uh, the, the usual process is that you add always more numbers as, in, as it happened in, in, the, in, in medieval astronomy with the geocentric model of the, of the planets. And um, 
if you have if the uh, once the model becomes too complicated and it becomes too obvious that something is wrong and there are too many anomalies then people may start to question it and if an an alternative comes in the the, the wrong complicated model may eventually be destroyed uh so i'm i'm not optimistic in the sense that <laughs> there's no way to halt this locomotive because it's it's the way it works but um what we clearly need is is a scientific revolution sooner or later because um it's i don't believe that that nature is, is so complicated yeah. and it, it's not a, it's not a personal belief in simplicity but uh the real revolutions have always led to simplification in physics uh that's that's clear and for anyone who who reads a little bit of history of science? Uh, that's I think that's that's very clear. Yeah. And that's probably the most important thing that we could that we could say here, and that is in the gravity waves and inflation, and then the Higgs boson. I put that on the same train. We're we're going down this path, the current uh, model of cosmology and particle physics, where it's getting increasingly esoteric and increasingly complicated. And it, it's one of the complaints, I mean, I read something when I was preparing for the show, I read something from one of the blogs where somebody thought that the Higgs, Higgs particle was easier to explain than the gravity wave finding, which is, really a, which is really a sad commentary on how esoteric things are getting, because I, I'm not so sure either one of them are very easy to wrap your brain around, and, but, I, but I, I view that as a problem. Because I, I'm old school, and, and I, I remember uh, a passage from Leon Letterman's uh, The God Particle book where he said, I'm sure he borrowed it from somebody, but he said that uh, the final theory should be simple enough to write on a T-shirt. I mean, it should, it should be something that uh, is, is more accessible, does not contain all these parameters and all these um, esoteric equations and imaginary numbers. It should be, it should be something... Uh, more more simple and I would agree that simply burdening the current theory with more math and more statistics and equations uh, is probably not the answer uh, yeah 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 I mean you mentioned Leon Lederman I think there are individuals who understand that you have to have the right ideas about simplicity and philosophy yeah. of science but just as a whole the scientific community Works in a way that goes in goes the other direction. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think I mean we can discuss which interpretation is more esoteric. If it's <laughs> the Higgs boson or is it the gravitational <laughs> wave? I don't know which one is yeah. is it's more esoteric. But the, the general problem behind is that we have no experts because fundamental physics is fragmentized. Okay. So we have different fields, and the quasar expert cannot really talk to the to the particle physicist at the level of understanding from from raw data. The neutrino hunter does not understand the cosmological analysis of the of the, uh, of the microwave background, and so on and so on. We have very different fields, very specialized fields, and communication goes by just, well, 
parroting the expert opinions because you're not you're not able to check anymore what these people read out of their data okay and this is i think this is the the essential problem science um not only the models but science itself the structure has grown to a to a complexity that um is not healthy anymore yeah. and uh people would respond and and say okay it's not as easy as before today we are in a different situation we have this uh, amount of data which we cannot oversee but i think uh just believe uh, the opinions and, and just take the the expert opinion of the other field is is certainly not the way a scientific opinion should be grounded we have to find we have to arrive at the new stage of science where the results become more transparent more accessible uh, where the public where the the scientists i mean i mean not this not only the, the specialized scientists but the the general trained scientists can enter and can check uh, the 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 single parts of the analysis, and this is what we what we would need transparency in science. Yes, I think that's very I think that's very well put. Now, are you working on any other projects right now, Alexander? I know that your your Higgs particle book came out what end of last year, so so. But are you working on a, on another project? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I'm a science writer, yeah. <laughs> physicist. So I'm writing another book about the yeah I've been about these fundamental aspects of science about uh, about why good science needs to be simple uh, taking uh, taking a historical point of view analyzing a little bit the steps but also uh, look forward and how could we possibly simplify simplify physics how could we possibly arrive at better theories is there a way to get rid of our fundamental constants or the constants we believe to be fundamental now what would be a, a real progress and i think there have been very interesting attempts by dirac by Dickey, also by einstein with his variable speed of light and i will expand on that and uh yeah well well i, <laughs> well, 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 I well i think that i think that i think that's really good and you know, the reason, the inspiration for this show uh, in the beginning was to bring the big ideas down to earth, was to simplify them so that so the average person on the street can get a little better under uh, feel for some of these big picture issues that are that are um, pronounced by our scientists and by religious leaders and spiritualists. And you know, if nothing else, Alexander, what what you do um, is to provide a fresh perspective, and and that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, and you know, my new book is called The Collapse of Materialism, which is going to be out pretty soon. And it's the same basic thing, which is that you don't have to agree with with uh, what I'm saying, with what Alexander's saying, or with this what the scientists are saying. I think each of us need to make up our own minds but you got to do it with an open mind because we are at risk of being sold down the river if we simply accept the pronouncements coming out of the universities and out of these research institutes as absolute truth in that sense it will be no different than than what 
Orthodox religion is criticized for. We have to yes. we have to question the dogma, and and if it withstands questioning, then science tells us that we are getting closer to the truth. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Alexander, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for finding time to do this, and I hope we've shed some light on the gravity waves and the inflationary Big Bang. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Philip. We need skeptics like you. Thanks. It was a pleasure to me. Thank you. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.